Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 180 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. I just, uh, we got some great stuff today, but I want to start by thanking all of you who leave ratings and reviews. I mean, you guys are the best when you share this stuff, when you when you let me know how it's helping. And I want to just say a shout out to those of you who have left reviews lately. Now, usernames are a lot of fun. So there's Dan, the youth pastor. Thank you for yours, Dan. There's uh, Caspi Anksy. I, I don't even know how to say it. Um, he says, every week is amazing. Don Holt Jr., thank you for your review. I really appreciate it. And you said, you know, you, you love the time and the deep dive. That's one thing. You know, we didn't know when we started this podcast whether you guys would love the long format. But we just keep hearing that you love the deep dive into this stuff. And we're going to do it again this week. And then thanks to BN Ball as well, who left a review recently. Uh, man, you guys, you're great. And then, and then, oh yeah, MD Lane 84. Yep. I read them. I read them. I read every one. So we're almost at 600 reviews. Can you believe that on iTunes? And I uh, want to thank every single one of you for doing that. And for those of you who may drop one this week or share this with your friends, thank you. You're making it better. And we want to provide resources that really help you thrive in life and leadership and lead like never before. So that's why we do this every week. And speaking of that, I hope today is really going to help because I do a deep dive with William Vanderblumen on organizational culture and what makes your workplace, whether that's a church or in the marketplace or frankly, even your family, what makes it an irresistible environment? And every single organization has a culture. Like if you've never even thought about what is the culture of your workplace, you you have one. And probably if you haven't thought about it, it's a bad one. And I've spent a lot of time over the last decade of my leadership, both at the church and then in this little company that provides the podcast, the blog and everything, spending days away and like forging values. Like who do we want to be? How do we make sure that we become who who we're trying to be? And how do we create a great environment that like people actually want to work in? And I got to tell you, when you make that kind of investment, it pays back in spades. You you you. I just would encourage you to do that if you've never done that. I just actually spent two days off site this week, the week that I'm recording this with some of our team. Um, forging and fine-tuning values and talking about culture. And yeah, it's two days away, but what an investment. So I think you're going to love that today. A couple things we want to share with you. Today is a really special day. Uh, if you head on over to thehighimpactleader.com, I am doing a free live training. Today's the day that we've been planning for for over a month, and uh, you can still get in on it, maybe. There's only a 1,000 seats available, and that's a, like, a legit thing. But I'm going to talk about the secret to crushing your goals on this live webinar, and I'm giving away a half hour of my time at the end. So head on over to thehighimpactleader.com if you're listening to this on release day. If not, check it out and we'll see if it uh, plays back on demand or whatever. Not sure how that's going to work. But anyway, uh, get in on the live thing. You can win a half hour of my time. Plus, I'll, I'll share free training with you. Also, conference season is coming up, and I've got two I want to highlight for you. One is the Rethink Leadership event in Atlanta, Georgia. This is for senior pastors, executive pastors, campus pastors. It's getting better every month. Head on over to rethinkleadership.com. Check out the lineup and get in before it's too late. Ditto with the Canadian 
Church Leaders Conference. You can go to canadianchurchleaders.ca. Uh, we opened up some new seats. So if this was last year's event, it would already be sold out, but it's not because we opened up more seats. So uh, make sure you head on over to canadianchurchleaders.ca, register before it's too late. And uh, hey, what are you doing to train your team? We've got something really special with Trained Up happening this month. You can get 50% off the first month of service. That's just as a listener of this podcast and use the code FIRST50 to take advantage of this offer. Now, you probably are asking like me, well, why would I do that? Well, Trained Up is like any other training tool that I've seen. And a lot of you are saying, what are its distinctives? Like what makes Trained Up different? So I sat down with the founder and CEO of TrainedUp.Church, Scott Magdalene, and asked him that question. The main thing that's different for us is that we really want to do our best to put the the tools in the hands of ministry leaders to be able to train their own teams. And so we do a couple of things. We do have a library of hundreds of videos, over 500 videos now, over 100 uh, full pre-built courses for you that they can use right out of the box. But we also want it to make it really easy to integrate your own video. So make it easy to record from your webcam, record from your phone, upload other videos that you have that you've purchased from out somewhere else and you want to put them into your course to be able to make it really your own experience and not only have access to just pre-made videos. So uh, the main difference is empowering ministry leaders to be able to train their own people their own way and then, of course, have access to our videos to supplement the things that they don't you know, want to make themselves. So you see how it's different? And if you get in on it this month in February, you'll get 50% off your first month. So just use the code FIRST50 when you check out at trainedup.church. Now, in the meantime, here is my, I love this conversation, my great conversation with a good friend of mine, as you'll see in the first few minutes of this interview, William Vanderblumen. Well, William, welcome back to the podcast. It's so good to catch up with you. Um, how you doing? Oh man, if uh, Carrie, you understand this. If if you ain't Dutch, you ain't much, right? So <laughs> that's right. We got to explain all these people with like really mysterious last names, like you and me. So I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast before. You've been on a couple times, but uh, Vanderblumen, what does it mean? Uh, well, if you're in middle school and you're trying to make fun of someone called <laughs> Vanderblumen. Not that that's ever happened. <laughs> Just hypothetically, you know, uh-huh. uh, the, there's a whole variety of things you can say, but but <laughs> I guess uh, the the most odd, flower boy, right? So flower Blumen, boy, that's it. You know, yeah, Bloomin' is flower. Yeah. True. So, but but I, the more noble would be um, it's of the place like the vendor uh, that causes things to grow. Right. So, but there is a place um, in downtown Amsterdam called the Bloomin' Market, right? Well, Isn't I think that, is that nearly, what it's called? I've been there, but I can't remember. Yeah, nearly every flower shop uh, over there it just says Bloomin', and we're from yeah. the Bloomin'. So somewhere up north, and you know, I, if I've told this story to you, then just what, edit it out of the podcast. But years <laughs> and years ago, uh, my mother's father uh, used to take his daughters and son-in-laws on a, an international trip every other year or so. So one year they're in Europe, and they had just scheduled to go to Amsterdam, and so. Uh, this is my mother's father, uh, says to my dad, well, this is your country. Why don't you figure out where you want to have dinner? And this is before Yelp and all the things. Right. So, so he calls around and he calls this restaurant, find, all his research, finds a great restaurant, calls and says, I'd like a, a table for eight. Um, and they said, oh, I'm sorry, sir. We don't, we don't do tables of eight. We only have tables of four. And he said, okay. Um, we'll do two tables of four. I'll do one in, in the name of beach, my 
grandfather's name, and one in the name of Vanderblumen. And they said, can you spell that? And he said, sure. He said, V-A-N-D-E. No, 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 sir. Spell beach. <laughs> That's awesome. And if you're old enough to remember, like, the old show Cheers, it was like, uh-huh. everybody knows your name. It was that uh-huh. place. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's funny. I remember being five years old and, like, learning to write my name for real, thinking, I'm going to spend the rest of my life spelling this thing. Like, I, I actually had that thought as a five-year-old. But Newhoff is also Dutch. It's it's actually Fries, but not really. Uh, is Vanderblumen wouldn't be Fries, would it? it would just pretty be, close. No, is it really? Close. Almost? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's it's a province in, that in North southern Holland. part. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. there you go. Because usually, if there's an A on the end of your name, then you're freeze, right? Like, yeah, uh, um, yeah. I can't even think of one right now, but there's lots of them out there. I hated it growing up, and uh, then when we started our company, I, I, I had one rule, and that was that I wouldn't be the lid. So when right. I named the company after me, um, I went and I think I have lifetime platinum status with GoDaddy because we bought probably 300 web domain names and <laughs> then hired a guy who could do SEO and tell us what was the best thing we could do and you just can't name it after us. And he came back and he said, you're not going to like my answer. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, well, your last name is so screwed up, it actually Googles really, really well. Yeah. So we, you can misspell <laughs> Vanderbloom in a hundred different ways into Google and it pops. So that's why we named the company what we did. There you go. It's funny what you learn. Eh? It's the same with Carrie Newhoff. You can misspell it in many, many different ways and Google uh, doesn't penalize you. It's really good. So they actually think Newhoff was originally German, but like our records don't go back that far. But anyway, Dutch for hundreds of years, poor peasant farmers, you know, that's mm. my background. But anyway, well, that was a fun diversion. And doesn't everybody hate their name growing up? But that's not where you live anymore. And we talked about Dutch culture. So now we will move on to uh, workplace culture. And you got a new book coming out soon, which is all about culture, because you've been studying that and you built a company. How old is the Vanderbloom and Search Group right now? Uh, well, you know, we have different, different names through the years. But mm. This year marks 10 years since I've been helping churches find their staff. I thought and it was then, a decade. Yeah, yeah, we're right at, we're moving on the decade mark of when I uh, packed up the corporate career and decided to start my own thing. And uh, it's been fun to watch. But, uh, you know, the easiest staff meetings we had, Carrie, were when we first started. And it was just sure. me. You, know? <laughs> you didn't disagree with yourself very often. All the all the votes were unanimous. You know, uh-huh. uh, everybody got along. It was it was really lovely. Um, then we started adding people, and uh, that's a whole different thing. And I, and I'd come yeah. from uh, when I was a pastor. The last church I served, we probably had we had some part time employees and some things we outsourced. But, but all in, we had we were paying three hundred people or so. So it was a fairly wow. good sized church, and. Uh, it was a older culture. Uh, it was the first Presbyterian Church of Houston, where Sam Houston actually attended. So, hmm. uh, it you know, culture calcifies over time unless yeah, there's does. things done to it. To and so um, I'd come from a very staid, do things one way culture, and now I'm doing this startup, and I started adding people, and uh, we added a few more people, and all of a sudden we started getting people remarking on our culture and how good it was, and then we went through a process of codifying it. We didn't really know what we were doing. It wasn't a hip thing. Um, and then we turned around and um, my assistant at the time said, do you care if I enter us in the best places to work contest for Houston? I'm like, okay, fine, sure. 
And and as the CEO, you don't take those surveys. So I didn't think about it again. You don't yeah. participate, you know. Yeah, I'm an awesome I, boss. Vote for me. Right, right exactly. Yeah. Uh, high trust in the senior leader. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, we ended up winning sixth place in the city of Houston. And if you're, I didn't know this till I moved to Houston, but there are more Fortune 500 headquarters here than anywhere in the U.S. except New York. Did not know that. So, wow. yeah, seven and a half million people in the major metro area. It's a fairly large footprint. Uh, and we're like, wow. And then uh, my assistant said, can we enter? Do you care if I enter us in some other things? Sure. So... Then I got a call, this was late 2015, from Entrepreneur Magazine, and they wanted to know if I could do an interview. Well, turns out we had entered and won their top company culture, in, like of all small businesses. We were number wow. one. And I was like, wow. I'm, and now I'm getting people calling saying, how'd you do that? And well, what did you do for your culture? What was your plan? And I was like, we didn't have one. We just <laughs> kind of did it. And uh, then I get asked to speak on the thing. And it's funny, when you when you get asked to speak on things, you really ought to have some structure to your talk, right? So <laughs> I better study this. Yeah, I well, better we figure were, this out. I mean, we, it wasn't like we flew completely blind, but it's not like we went and bought all these culture books and then figured out a plan. So right. we stepped back as a team. We said, what did we do? Like, what are the things we have done that have led us to here, and how how could that be a story that'd be helpful? And we started to tell it, and then it turned into, let's write a book about it, and we got about chest deep into the book, and then uh, decided, you know, this doesn't need to be a story about us. Uh, hmm. It can be it can be our story, but let's let's go find a hundred or a hundred and fifty CEOs of other companies that have won culture awards. And A, let's see if what we're doing is actually the really the best practice or just got lucky. Uh, and B, what are those congruent lessons that you could learn about building a culture that would retain employees, which is a bigger and bigger deal every day because of some generational dynamics that are going on. So yeah. all that's a long, long way for a recovering preacher to ramble and tell you, uh, yeah, we've studied our own culture and then a whole lot of cultures of companies to to try and... Uh, create a little bit of a guidebook for people. What was your methodology in studying the others? Did you uh, hire I, researchers or you went out and interviewed them or, or how did you do I, that? That's a great question. So here's a uh, window into our culture. I handed one of our newest employees uh, five magazines that all had culture awards that they'd handed out. And I said, okay, go find the CEOs of all these companies and get me a phone appointment with as many as you can. Brilliant. And they went and figured it out pretty well. So, uh, yeah. So it ended up me doing a whole lot of phone interviews and then picking the best ones for the best stories. But uh, uh, all the principles that are in there are stacked as they are because of uh, the learnings from those interviews. Well, we're going to do a deep dive into the principles in a, in a little bit. But um, did you find just broad strokes, the stuff that you had done, I would say intuitively, from the way you describe it, right? It's not like you yep. sat down with the playbook. Yep. It's like, follow this playbook. It's like, you just kind of intuitively created a culture. Did you find a lot of similarities between what you did and what the other companies were doing? Or was there a real variety? Well, a little bit of both. There was certainly mm -hmm. some common themes. Uh, I'd say the most common thing that was in place that I'd not even really consider because it was intuitive leadership. It right. wasn't 
systematic thought out. Uh, but the, the most common one, I'd say, why in the world do you spend this much money on your team culture? Uh, every CEO I talked to said, because it pays for itself. Okay. Wow. In retention. It pays for itself every single time in retention. And, uh, you know, the, the workforce, it's hard to do a chart or a graph on a podcast, but uh, if you can imagine birth rates and you can imagine yeah. how, many, how many available workers are there by age, right? Yeah, yeah, so just basic demographics. Basic demographics. It, like baby boomers, there's a whole, whole lot of them, right? It's like a giant yeah. peak on a graph. And then millennials, there's a whole, whole lot of them, like a giant peak on the graph. I'm right between there in my mid to late 40s, and there are not many of us. No, I'm the so, top of Gen X, and we are the smallest generation out there right, right now. Right. So what does that mean? Well, that means as these boomers retire, and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about church or medicine or accounting or law or just general business, it's the same demographic. It's just birth rates. Yep. So baby boomers are retiring, which we all know. And they have to hand their jobs off to somebody, which we studied in our uh, succession study some years back. And there aren't enough experienced people to hand things off to. So you're seeing millennials enter senior leadership roles in the workplace much quicker than anybody really ever thought. Hmm. And then once you get them there, they're a generation that just tends to bounce around from job to job yeah. or career to career. So all the CEOs I interviewed said, if I can retain a millennial, even just a couple years longer than normal, I've made money. And right. that's where you start to see it. So it sinks money and resource into culture. So that, that would be the biggest broad brush stroke, that, that it really isn't just fun and games. It pays for itself. So let's start there. Um, let's start diving into the principles then, William. So that would be one of them, right, that you've got to invest in team culture I know that's hard for a lot of church leaders because you're dealing in, in many respects, and you, you deal with churches every day, your company does, um, but with limited budget, with uh, a scarcity mindset often. And so that's a tough sell to a lot of companies, a lot of churches, where you're going to get pushback if, if you're like, we've got to devote X number of dollars or X percentage of our budget into employees. What does that look like? When you look at your company, you look at the companies you've studied, what kind of investment are you making? Are you talking about courses, conferences, training, retreats, um, perks, right? What, what are you talking about when, or, or something entirely different? Well, let's begin at the beginning. Um, there are very few churches that I know that have a set of cultural values for their staff, hmm. right? So you might have cultural values or your core values as a church, right? Like, uh, what is it? Uh, what's yours about it? hate mediocrity or something like that? Oh yeah. That. Battle mediocrity. Battle yeah, mediocrity. That's one of ours that's a, at Conexus. That's awesome. Yeah. And I got to tell you that that is one of my favorite ones I've ever heard because I am so tired of hearing the word excellence. I know. So uh, are we, so are we, we were just like, we were in my backyard. I'm like, I don't want excellence. Like I believe no. in it, but, and you get that diminishing return, right? That last right. 5% that you're like, the last 5% isn't worth it in so many areas. So it's yep. just like, what do we hate? We hate be mediocrity, so let's battle that. Yeah, no, that's it's so good. And excellence just is pablum now. Everybody wants to be, who don't want to be excellent? But anyway, mm -hmm. the, the beginning of the investment is investing the time into a process. I guess I should say process. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. 
uh, investing the time into a group process for establishing team cultural values. And yeah. you know, what is that's not an investment. Yes, it is. Uh, we shut our company down for a few days, and that meant we weren't working. We weren't making yeah. money. Ch- churches don't think that way, but there's a real cost. Like every minute your team is working, it's pulling something out of the offering plate. So, yeah. you know, uh, I, I, I think that one of the clearest examples of a church taking time to do this uh, that, that I discovered in the study, I, I spent a long time talking to uh, Rick Holiday. At, yeah, uh, North yeah, Point. Rick at North Point, great yeah. guy. Maybe the maybe the best kept secret in the kingdom. I mean, oh, that he's guy, unbelievable. Everything rolls up under Rick, and nobody really knows him. It's awesome. Nope. But he he told me about how they established their staff cultural values, and they did it when they hit six hundred employees. I'm like, wow. Okay, he <laughs> said, yeah, we had all these little sayings that were running around. We didn't really have them codified, and some people felt like the in crowd and others didn't, and we didn't really know. So we stopped and said, let's go through a process where we all named the values together, 600 people. Yeah. It took them a year. And, and I'm That's like, how long it took ours. And, you it, know, I said, yeah, but Rick, you've got this guy on your staff named Andy, <laughs> and he's really good at communicating. Do you not, can you not just tell him to go to the mountain and come back with some cool values? And, 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 you know, we laughed because he, you know, Andy, uh, he's a really good communicator. Yeah, he's and, pretty good. And he's not a bad thinker either. You know, no, he could come not. up with all of that on a couple of days on his own. Do we have time for a rabbit trail? Totally. Okay. So, you know, we churches hire us to help them find their staff, right? Yeah. And so we are always taking in information from candidates. And one of the questions we'll ask candidates is, Hey, who who are some of the people you listen to, like podcasts, or who do you read? Oh, yeah. Who shapes you spiritually, right? So we've been doing this. You know, we've got I don't know how many hundred thousand different responses now, or something like that. So uh, maybe a year ago or so, I asked the head of our research team. I was like, Hey, Bob, can you run a list for me and show me who the top ten spiritual influences are among the people who are our wow. candidates? Yeah, it was kind of a fun question, right? So he's like, Sure. So he comes back. Uh, you know, whenever it was a day or two later. And the number one answer was God slash Jesus, right? It's a good answer. Number two was Andy. Of course. So I looked at it and I said, Bob, all right, I think I know why you did this the way you did it. I know you can't divide the indivisible Trinity and all that, but if you sorted the answers with God is one answer and Jesus is another, what happens then? He said, yeah. Oh. I didn't want you to ask me that. And I said, why? And he said, because Andy beats them both. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So oh. off the rabbit trail, back to the path, I, I'm like, Rick, really? Could you not let Andy go wordsmith this? And he's like, no. We're going to send it all the way down to people. We're going to have focus groups. We'll send it back up to senior leadership. We'll do some molding and shaping. They'll go back down and then back up and back down. And then they got into, do they all need to be nouns or do they need to be verbs? And, you know, when I asked him how many hours, did he said it took a year and it was a lot of meetings. Well, you start running the dollar signs attached to that. And yeah. when you say, what does the investment look like? The, the big investment at the beginning is shutting down your work to actually get values that everyone can own on True. paper. Yeah, so. and you're right. It's not, we had read, uh, North Point had gone through it, I think, a year before we did. And we also used The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni, which is extremely helpful. And it started with a full day in my backyard with our leadership team. 
And then we would spend, we'd come back to it once or twice a month for at least an hour every time. And I mean, you're debating phrases, but the idea behind that, I guess, William, is values that aren't owned by the organization never get adopted by the organization, right? Like if, if I just come back with like my idea, it's like, here's the five things you should do. It's like, well, right. good luck with that. Well, and I think that's absolutely right. And that's just a great leadership principle. But I think even more than vision or strategy, culture has to be a collaborative process. And here's, here's what I think is uh, at least one of the reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, vision vision is the, hey, go off to the mountain and come back with the Ten Commandments, right? Yeah. You know, I'm going to go catch the vision and I'm going to bring people along. Um, your cultural values are not at the top of the mountain. They're at the bottom. The mm. cultural values of your team are already there. Yeah. You just need to figure them out. And so it's not a question, it's not a question of getting people to collaborate so they can own it. It's getting, getting everybody involved so they can, here's the key question we ask and we tell others, and, and it's this. When we're functioning at our highest redemptive potential, or if you're talking business talk, when we're functioning at our best, right, what do we as a team do that's common to us but uncommon to other teams around us? Oh, that's a great question. So it's not what should we do, no. right? Common it's to us, uncommon to others. When we're at our best. When we're if at you our don't, best. If you don't throw the when we're at our best in there, then you're going to get, there, every team has an Eeyore, right? <laughs> well, I don't like how we do, you know, that doesn't help. That's not what yeah. you're after. You, and, and you're uh, not also you're not after. produce your worst product, your worst right. practices. <laughs> but what, what I think what that question does, and there are probably thousands of them that are better, but yeah. for us what that question did was it moved us out of um, purely aspirational values. Yeah. Like I aspire to slam dunk a basketball. It ain't going to happen on a 10 <laughs> foot rim. So you know, it's just, that's not in the cards yeah. for me. So it, it's, it's removing the irrational aspirations that we all, I think we all have. Yeah. And, and then calling on what we already have in us, the unique thing that God has wired us as a team to be and do and, and, and it begins a conversation and it's, it's a super cool way to start a retreat. You, you do a cultural retreat. You say, Hey, let's do this. I want to know how, how we know what we do when we're at our best. That's uncommon to other teams, but common to us. So everybody think of a story of when we were at our very best and just start throwing them up on the wall. Don't have to have cool phrases, but when yeah. we just, when we went to bed saying we won that day, you know, the kingdom moved forward that day. And when you can start a retreat with telling, you can call them yay God stories or winning stories, that usually puts the energy in a pretty good place and yeah. uh, kicks off so the... let me bounce this off you because I want, uh, this is super practical and I know there's a lot of leaders who are like, you know, we got to define our cultural values. But I remember how I felt as a leader four or five years ago when I sat down to do that. I remember uh, the week before our retreat, I was going, you know, we had read Patrick Lencioni and other people... Uh, I'd heard what Andy had to say about it. But I mean, you're pulling from a million words, a million concepts, a million ideas. And I remember walking through this like $100 million healthcare organization and seeing their values on the wall. And it was stuff like excellence and quality and care. And I'm like, where do you even start? So I forget whether this was in the advantage or not. But what we did, we were sitting around with my leadership team, is I pulled out a whiteboard and I was kind of stumped and I just said, you know what? And if I had your question, it would have been easier. Uh, but I just said, let's write down the names of the people 
that are us at our best. And we literally started writing down names of actual people we know. Like if we could do poster children for Connexus Church, who would they be? And, you know, you start writing down like William and Adrian. You start writing down different names. And, And then I said, well, why? And, well, these people get up early in the morning and they give and it's not about them and they invite their friends and they serve and... And they hate mediocrity. And again, it was just, we were just throwing whatever on that page. Then I tore that sheet off. And I said, now let's do the opposite. Let's write down the names of people (laughs) who are the opposite of what we want. Because every organization has them, right? Those people, you're like, why are you even at our church? Like, we don't get it. And so we wrote down their names. And then we burned that sheet of paper because we didn't (laughs) want to go to hell directly. Uh, But it's true because, okay, well, why are these people's names on this sheet? It's like, they're so selfish. They can only see their own view. They're not generous. They, they gossip. They, you know, all those things that you don't want to be about. And that was a shortcut for us, a catalyst to us to find the values that were already in the system. Because I think you're right. They have to be descriptive and prescriptive. Is that the kind of thing that you could do as a shortcut or just a way to get started as long as you bring the second list? That's fantastic. Yeah, don't post the second list on your story. Uh, No. (laughs) Is your name on this list? (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Swipe up for more. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, no, that sounds great. I mean, you know, the, the, the root for me, it sounds like you did the same thing. You're like, yeah. What's a picture of when we're at our best? You did it as exactly. a person, which is awesome. Hmm. And and we did we did that um, with people we hire when we talked about our staff culture and we talked about, you know, we started so we had all these stories and it was like, well, okay, you can put these in buckets. There's some common themes in these stories and hmm. these are about when we responded quickly or we were fast and these are about when we kind of bent over backwards to do a level of servanthood that really wasn't called for. And these were, yeah, and that sort of led that way. But then we, then we started thinking, okay, who's the kind of person that would not be able to work in this environment? And it started to, to frame the anti-values. So right. uh, yeah. Same, same Do you think idea. every organization has anti-values, values and anti-values? Absolutely. Yeah. Ab- yeah. yeah. I mean, they might not want to admit it, but you know, we write all of our content to a persona. We have, uh, we have five personas we write to, and we have two anti-personas that we can identify pretty quickly. Uh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. So this is like, this is not our client. This is not our... our not going to work. Yeah. Not going to work. We're not going to be able to help them. It's not, they're not, it's, you know, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> Thanks, George. Costanza. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that, that's fascinating. So that, that is how you begin to define it. Um, so what are, just give us an example of a few of your cultural values that emerged out of that exercise. Sure, sure. So one in particular that's, um, probably my favorite, um, you know, I'd said for, it was amazing. I started our company just on a card table and Adrian and I'd just gotten married. We're a blended family. We have six kids, just bought a house. And I came home and said, I think I'm supposed to quit my job. I know it's a good job, well-paying job, but I'm supposed to quit it and, and start a new idea for churches. Right. And, and she looked at me and said, that's, that's because churches 
love new ideas, right? <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, said, yeah, said no one ever, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when we started the whole thing, you know, we, we, we set out to, you know, start with nothing and take no debt and no investors or anything. So it's amazing when you have nothing and you get a call from someone saying, would you call me back and let me know if you can help me find this, this, and how quickly I would get back to them. Because if I got back to them, we would eat. And if yeah. I didn't get back to them, we wouldn't, right? So it it was just, a, and then over the years, it just started, we would get all these compliments. Like, you just got right back to me. Yeah. Like, I started saying speed wins. Uh, so so that those stories kept showing up. And, and there's some really cool studies that show just how pathetic people are at actually getting back to people. Uh, it's really not hard to win. Just respond. But the value that grew out of that, uh, we called ridiculous responsiveness. Ah, uh, yeah. So, you know, that's yeah. a phrase. I know we talked about this at dinner sometime last year. Uh, we happened to be in Atlanta together. We were, that with, we were there with a mutual friend. And it's funny because if you didn't mention it, I was going to ask you to talk about ridiculous responsiveness. There's something really memorable about the phrase. But talk about what you told me at dinner that night about customer support and how it was handled in the early days. Because I know a lot of people, they look at the Vanderbloom and Search Group now and go, oh, great, you have X number of employees, you know, you're crushing it. Um, but you really did start it in your home, and you were the ridiculous responsiveness person for the first or, how long? Or neurotic, neurotic, uh, <laughs> scarcity minded. I better call them back, or I won't feed my family. Person, one of those, one of yeah. those two. So yeah, yeah. But how did that work? I mean, the one eight hundred um, number you know, pushed to your I, phone. Well, no. So we do. Uh, I think similar to the way you guys work at uh, your organization, we put a lot of content out. Yeah. And then people people contact us. We don't do cold calling. We don't right. you know ring people up and say, "Do you need another student pastor or something?" You know. Um, so when someone would write in, you know, we have like on our website a fill out this form if you want more information, which most websites have. Um, I would get back to them right away, and we had yeah, put you would. just like right away. Um, and then we started just intuitively saying that has to have you have you cannot not get back to people and i'd said i want whoever is answering those forms to respond within one minute with a handcrafted response not some auto response i want you to we, we didn't have alexa back then but ask alexa what the weather in toronto is and write carry back right now and you know what something wow. and within a minute and if you can't live that way you're not going to make it here and uh, so sometime later, uh, one of our team members found a study that was done pretty comprehensively that asked the question, so if you're in this kind of inbound marketing, right, where right. people are filling out a form to on the, whether it's I want to, I'm interested in buying this car, I'm filling out a form or I'm interested in skiing at your resort, I'm filling out a, a fill out a form kind of business, right? How likely is it that you're going to get a callback from a customer if you respond to their form in certain amounts of time. You understand mm -hmm. the question? Mm -hmm. So if, if you respond within one minute of the form getting filled out, there's over a 98% chance you're going to have another conversation with that person who filled out the form. Man. If you wait 
until five minutes, it drops to about a 60% chance. If you wait an hour, it gets down in the 20s. If you wait 24 hours, you have a less than 1% chance of ever hearing from that person again. Really? The national average of all the businesses they studied, studied thousands and thousands of fill-out form businesses, national average response time, 42 hours. <laughs> and why do we have no customers? Why does so, nobody ever come back? Wow. That's sort of like confirmed what my gut had been telling me yeah. and what we've been hearing from clients saying, I cannot believe you got back to me so fast. I can't everybody get it. So we were like, you know what? We're going to be ridiculous. We're going to be neurotic. Maybe it should be neurotic responsiveness, but it's, right. and we interview. No, the alliteration is memorable. Well, I mean, we interview for it and yeah. that's, that's a part of culture is interviewing for your culture. And it, it's become a, a serious, it's plastered to our wall. So let me, uh, let me just push back on behalf of all the listeners who are saying, wait a minute, great idea. I'm thrilled for you. I agree. I want to be treated that way. But like, how does that scale? How do you hire for that? What if somebody, you know, in a different time zone sends in the form at 3 a.m.? Is your staff getting like push notifications that wake them up out of bed? at three o'clock in the morning? Like how, how does that even scale? How do you have any time off? How do you handle that? Yeah. Well, I, I suck at sleeping. So there's that. <laughs> so there's that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'm up at four in the morning and then I just made sure I hired a worship pastor cause they don't go to bed till three in the morning. And then we've only got one hour that we're missing. So <laughs> that works. <laughs> In all seriousness, it, it it doesn't always work. When Sydney, Australia calls right. and it's, you know, whatever ridiculous time because their daylight yeah. savings time is different, it doesn't always work. But we did say, uh, let's set up some auto replies. Let's set up a way of saying, hey, we would love to hear. We want to get with you the minute somebody's awake, that sort of thing. But but more important than auto responses are all was building a team that shared the same value. Yeah. Because I don't have to enforce it. I'm We're so... One of the things we say in the book is knowing your culture is knowing what your kind of crazy is. Hmm. We're all That's crazy. So true. Yeah. We're all crazy, you know, and if you can figure out what your kind of crazy is and codify it and live by it and leverage it, your business or your ministry or your church will go farther and faster. And that's what everybody's trying to do. Right. So for us, one of our kind of crazies is we get back to people and you can call us crazy, but it's like, hey, we're all the same kind of crazy, and that's just the way it is. So if you wanted to work for us and you weren't like that, you'd be very unhappy, and now you wouldn't make it through the interview gate. Right. So, so Carrie, you come in, and for whatever reason, we decide, hey, we'd like to interview you. And, and so you come in for the interview, and it's in person, and you've met whoever you're going to be working for. You might have met me. You've met two or three people, and you leave, and we're all like, you know, Carrie – Carrie might work out. This could be good. Um, that night, it would not be uncommon for you to get a text from someone in our company. Probably around 10 or 10.30 at night. Like, late but not stupid late. Mm -hmm. And it would probably ask something like, you know, do you know, I'm just, do you know what the chances are of the Houston Texans winning the Super Bowl this next year? And, <laughs> it, you know, just some completely, why do you, that's not, they're not even in the CFL. Why do you care? So, 
<laughs> so touche. If you didn't respond, you're not going to lose the job, right? Right. If you responded pretty quickly, we're going to be like, oh, this this might work. This could work. This could if, work. If you respond within a minute, it's like, oh boy, oh boy. Unless now I've, I've blown this whole. Uh, yeah, you're gonna have to change your search everybody. process we have to find right way, now. But, yeah. Right, but uh, if you respond within a minute, it's like, mm-hmm, they might be the same kind of crazy. If you respond within a minute with an answer, like, well, actually, the Vegas odds right now are whatever they are to one. Yeah. Right. You're like, oh my gosh, ridiculous responsiveness, solution side living. So we get asked to solve puzzles we've never seen every single day. Wow. So solution side living. And, and then if you cap it off with something really snarky, like, but we all know they're never going to win before Jesus returns. <laughs> then you've shown your family. The, uh, welcome. Your, contagious fun. Three values out of nine right there. But we, we, I mean, we really do like a whole lot of interviewing. That's not during the formal interview to see if you match culturally. I think you can teach most competencies. Yeah. I don't think you can teach cultural value. No, you catch it. You, yep. you, you, you really do. And this is good. I'm glad we're drilling down on this. And, and honestly, for most leaders, ridiculous responsiveness may not be one of your values, but no. you need to know what they are to you, what's true to you. And then you need to figure out a way to do it. And we got into defining our, our values because as our team grew, we were trying to figure out, like it was taking longer and longer to acclimatize people to the way we work. And you, you get that frustration point as a leader where it's like, well, that's not exactly the way we do it around here. Well, how do you do it around here? And you're like, I can tell you more about what it's not than what it is, which is never a good place to be as a leader. But it's not that. And it's not this. And it's not that. And so then we said, hey, to be fair to everybody, we have to tell them what it is. And once we defined it, it was so much easier to bring you know onboard volunteers, onboard staff, because they caught it. They got it. Well, I, I think, it, it, so, sorry for the interruption, but I think uh, it may even run deeper than that. Tell I don't me. know if you can catch it. I think you either have it or you don't. Okay. And I think I, I think uh, you're either that kind of crazy or not. Now, I mean, some of it can be improved a little bit, but it's kind of right. like in the NFL combine, the, the line of the coaches is, you know, you can't coach speed. You either have it or you don't. So you, and, and I think there's something to that. So I know me as a leader, I've had – way too much belief in my superhuman ability to change people. You know, I mean, somebody I like, <laughs> I like being around them. So I want to work with them, but if they don't match, they're not going to match. So, you know, for us, it's on the front end and we'll inter your interview you would have had with us in the office would have started with the 10 reasons why you ought to leave this interview right now, because we are nuts. We are crazy. Right. And you need to, and so that frames us as the crazy one and not you. Right. So it, it, if you like like the same routine every day, if you like predictability and I'm going to show up at eight and I'm going to leave at five and I'm going to shut my phone, you need to run. I'll validate your parking. I'll even buy you lunch somewhere else. Yeah. Get out of here. You know, it doesn't work. And we'll run through each of the sort of the values with an anti-value question or reasons to leave us because we are insane and uh, give people some real permission. And it's saved us a couple of times. What would you say to the leader who says, gosh, we can't get anyone attracted to our team? Or do you know how hard it is to find good people? Um, I think a lot of leaders are afraid to go there 
because they're kind of looking for anybody. How have you handled that tension and what would you say to them? Well, they need to hire a search firm. That's easy. <laughs> That's exactly it, right. <laughs> they could hire you guys. No, I, I would just say, um, and this, I think this is particularly true for lead pastors mm. who are communicating. Uh, there is such a common gift of woo or yeah. influence, or if you're in the corporate world, sales. Uh, there's just a, I can talk you into this. That oh, yeah. I know it's there in me as a senior leader. I, and it doesn't mean I'm good at it, but I believe I'm good at it. And I, uh, I just have learned not to trust that in hiring. Mm. It, it's not, that is not the right, particularly if you're talking to church leaders, there is this thing called the call of God, right? <laughs> Which yeah. will, will either bring somebody or not, no matter what you say or do. But I just know myself too well to know that I spend too much time trying to talk someone into coming on board when it really ought to be the other way around. I, you know, I think I said this on the last podcast I was on with you, but number one mistake always that I see in staffing is leaders hire too quickly and they fire too slowly. Yeah. And I, you know, my friend Dave Ramsey, who's been a client and a friend for a long time and taught me a lot about business. He's got I don't know, probably 700 employees, probably 800 mm-hmm. since I just said the word 700. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah and they, they will not let him in the room yeah. for a hire until they're sure this is the right guy. Because Dave will turn on the charm and try and talk him into it. And oh, he knows yeah. that about himself. So I, I would say, you know, don't sell yourself short. And if you really, really, really can't find anybody that wants to work there, it might be time for a long look in the mirror. Yeah, maybe it's you. Yeah. I mean, you know... Or maybe Taylor Swift really can't find the right boy. I don't know. <laughs> no, you know, I've found myself in the same thing, talking people into, you need to work here. My team has pushed me away saying, you you know, you get the veto uh, on a senior position, but that's about it. Because otherwise you just end up, you know, you're so passionate about what you do. You just can't believe anybody else wouldn't be interested in it. And we've ironically found that, the stricter we've gotten, the more we've said no, the better our team has gotten. Mm. Um, now, in 10 years, how, ma- how many employees do you have right now? Um, well, when we firm? started the podcast? Yeah, when we started the podcast, you had 40. <laughs> now you've got 700. <laughs> no, I, it, we're right at 40 full-time people. But, yeah. but it's a little different. I mean, you know, if I wanted to blow it out and say we have all these partners and all right. these things we outsource, I can make the number really big if you want. But the the people who I have moved to Houston who show up here every day and bust their tail to try and help churches find leaders, that's 40. Yeah, which is a lot bigger than most church leaders are dealing with and is actually a large church staff size, right? Actually, fairly large church staff size. Um, and that can be hard to scale. How do you keep the culture consistent as you add more and more people? Yeah, well, okay, first things first, bad news um, as you grow, your culture will weaken. Hmm. It's just, it's just data. Yeah. I mean, you go look, if you don't believe me, go look at any of the best places to work score results, which you can Google around and find. Sure. Uh, they're, they're different categories. It's the same test everybody takes, no matter what size company you're in, but they break things into small business, large business, medium business, and all this. I used to think they did that to give the small guys a chance. No, the raw scores suck for the big companies. 
Hmm. Raw, raw scores on those kind of tests always go down the larger the head count is. Because you so, get what? Silos, politics, turf wars, all the um, stuff Lencioni talks about? Or, or why? Well, I, you know, I heard an interesting thing last week. Because uh, we, we, for the first time, have some silos. Right. And so you get worried about it. As, I remember we moved into our office now where we actually can't all see each other, you know, wow. or hear each other. Uh, and it's like, oh, man. And then sooner or later we're going to have the upstairs people and the downstairs people. And it's <laughs> get weird. And Those people on the third floor. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> but I, I guess, you know, where I, where I found uh, silos to be something to be afraid of, I heard last week from a great leader. He said, you know, silos are necessary. Hmm. They're how work gets done. Breakthroughs happen cross-departmentally. Work gets done in silos. I thought, oh, wow. that's kind of liberating. Mm-hmm. That makes you know, sense. We're all afraid of, oh, I've got a silo. You want a silo working on your tech department, right? You yeah. don't want, uh, every, you, don't, you do not want the youth minister collaborating on the, how the accounting is done. That's not helpful, <laughs> right? <laughs> You'll have no money for R&D. Right? Yeah. You need a silo there. It's okay to have the silo. But I think what happens is the larger the company gets, A, the less attention uh, is paid to culture. This, yeah. this whole workplace culture thing is a pretty new thing. We're at least in the U.S. We're in everyone's in startup fever. Whether you want to go plant a church or start a business, so there are lots of small businesses. And when you're all, I mean, when we were our first eight people in our office, we were in a small house hmm. where we not only could see everything everybody was doing, we could hear everything anyone was doing. <laughs> so we had one intern one year who did not use the bathroom at work all summer because he was afraid he was going to get hurt. Um, <laughs> <laughs> We've all been in those so, offices. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but as you get bigger, you don't see everybody all the time. You don't. So I think it just takes, you know, there's the line that, that Hybels and so many have used for years saying vision leaks. Well, culture yeah. leaks. Yeah. And it leaks more and more the more people you have. So I think it just takes, and, and older companies that have been around with thousands of employees never got in on this culture conversation. So North Point's kind of strange that it was a big thing and they backed up and joined yeah. a movement. It's mainly startup. They're, they're to be applauded for that. But uh, well, and I think if you do, don't define your culture, you're going to have problems sooner. I mean, ten can well, be an issue. Eight can be an issue. Yeah, I I, I think that uh, it's not just define because I mean we've all sat in on strategic planning where we've defined stuff and then it goes in a drawer and never gets done again, never gets yeah. used, never gets. I, I think it's codifying it and then embedding it into the full life cycle of an employee. So their interview is a reflection of culture. Their onboarding is a reflection of culture. Their week-to-week has pieces of culture infused into their life. There's a calendar for culture. There's a, there's a person on your staff who is getting paid to spend part of their work week driving culture into the organization. Uh, it's it, just a highly intentional, almost like a disciple-making program, like mm. a culture-making program. And if that's not there then it'll just fade away and people will go into whatever personality clicks they're in. Let's talk about calendaring to the culture and having somebody, even who's, you know, it's part of their job or on their radar ski, uh, screen, thank you, to drive um, culture into the workplace and into the team. H- how do you do that? Well, let's do the second one first. Okay? okay, so we wouldn't have a calendar if I didn't have somebody on staff who had the job of driving culture. Now, it's probably 30% of their job. 
Okay. Um, so, and she has now, uh, we've evolved where we have, it's her job, but then there are, we have five departments that are core departments and there's a, uh, kind of a uh, culture emissary from each of those five departments. And they might spend 5% of their job on culture, but they're driving it through. The, so it's, it's not just one person anymore. But we started with one person. Hey, can you give this three hours a week? Just a good three hours, you know, not your three to 6 PM hours, but like, yeah, give us a, mo- <laughs> give us a morning a week. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Just give me that and, and work on this. And that's how our culture calendar started our culture reading list. Um, we stole from some companies that really had it down. Like we, uh, you know, the, the Ritz Carlton is maybe the best at culture that there is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know if you've read this book, the new gold standard have not no required reading for you. It's, really? It is we'll link to it in the show notes. Phenomenal. Yeah. Okay. It, it is really good. It's, it's written by their management team or at least written by a ghostwriter who interviewed their management team to talk about how they drove culture. I didn't know, you know, if you see a really nice hotel, it's a ritzy hotel or a car is mm-hmm. a ritzy car. The adjective ritzy didn't come around until the hotel existed. Really? So their brand is so strong that it did become an adjective. I mean, like for Man, real. I didn't know so, that. Yeah. So they have this thing they do. And now that Marriott bought them some years back, Marriott employees do the same thing. They carry around on a little card they have to have on them all their time. It's on the backside of their credentials. Uh, the gold standards, that's what they call their cultural values. I believe huh. there are four or, five, four or five of them, something like that. And at the beginning of every shift at every Ritz-Carlton property, everyone meets with their direct team. And that might be the sous chef before they start fixing whatever they're fixing. Might be the CEO meeting with the CFO, COO. And they do a 10-minute huddle. And during the huddle, they'll say, well, it's your birthday's coming up or Yay for being here five years or whatever. But then the big part is uh, what we at Vanderbilt call a cultural value spotlight, or they call it the gold standard moment. And it's where you, you, you go around the room, you take turns, so, and only one person a day does this. But at every shift, at the beginning, there's one person on every team at every property saying, today I saw the cultural value of ridiculous responsiveness lived out when Carrie texted me at one o'clock and 20 seconds to let me know he was ready for the one o'clock podcast. <laughs> that may or may not have happened. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that, way to go, Carrie, living it out. Now, I did, not, I did not make Carrie the hero. I made the value the hero. Mm. I saw the value of lived out. And the next day, it might be your turn in our little huddle to, to talk about whoever it is. And it yeah. lifts up the value. It also help, does tell a good story about a person and, and just drives it so that every shift, every day, at every Ritz-Carlton, that's how they're starting things. Isn't that it? Just order the book. Thank you for that. That's great. I hadn't, I've listened to Horst Schultze before talk about it, which is amazing. He did interviews well, with the Andy architect. Stanley. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, there's a great Global Leadership Summit talk that he did on the, uh, I don't know whether it's Defining Moments, but it's Willow. No, it's a Global Leadership podcast. And that's exceptional. So we'll link to those in the show notes as well. Um, how do you, how do you live that out right now at your company? So somebody, not, not, not frequently enough. It, uh, okay. We're about to shift to every time there's a team meeting, we're going to have a mm-hmm. cultural value spotlight right now. It's anytime there's an all staff meeting, but we've gotten to a yeah. size now where there are a lot more meetings. So uh, yeah. that, that we just 
straight copied. And, uh, you know, it's funny when we started our cultural values was right about when the whole hashtag, you know, phenomenon started. So people will send out a little note or something and then hashtag with whatever the value is that they're talking about. And that's kind of just kind of caught on. But uh, there are a lot of other ways we live out day to day. Uh, But we do keep a calendar with particular events scheduled. And the events that we schedule are built around our values. Yeah. Uh, And that takes some thought and some intent. Like, you know, we could go uh, play cornhole or whatever you call that in Canada. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, we call it cornhole. Oh, that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we call it that. It's a cockpit. Or monoculture. (laughs) (laughs) We could go do that, and that'd be fun, and everybody would have fun. Um, But instead, Katie, who was our first, we call it the culture whip, like a whip in the Congress that actually makes people do things, right? Um, Katie was our first culture whip. She came to me and said, William, do you know what, um, this was, gosh, four or five years ago, do you know what an escape room is? And it's, you know, these... Yeah. So this was before they were a thing, right? Right. I said, uh, tell me about it. So she told me, and it's, of course, you get locked in a room and you're not supposed to be able to get out, but you get timed on how close you got to getting out or whether you got out or it's supposed to be pretty impossible. She said, I think this would be a good culture event. I said, why? And she said, I said, it sounds like fun. She said, no, it's not that it's fun. Although contagious fun is one of our values. She said, we can do it by teams and let them compete with each other. And the teams will have to work together and they're going to have to create a solution to a problem they've never seen before. So it'll be solution side living. It's going to require responsiveness. It's going to require X. So she ran through all our values and how it would reflect so many of them. I'm like, all right, I'll pay for that. That's not just like cornhole. It's like some intent went behind this. So we're driving a value through whatever fun team-based experiment we're doing. See, and I love the way you phrase it, too, because solution-side living, that says something, right? It's memorable. It's not, it's not uh, generic in any way. You know, like excellence, how do you even enforce it? So um, any other keys to culture that you've seen in your own research or that you talk about in the book that you think should be on every church leader's radar? I'll tell you one that's coming. Mm. Um, it's just starting, and we've started it this last year, and that is putting cultural values and how you're living them out into your annual review and tying your compensation directly to it. Wow. So you you can hit all the sales numbers in the world for us, and if you're not living out the values, you're not getting your full compensation. It's not going to happen. Man, there's no bonus. And and, and I'll tell you where that's going to help churches. Maybe you're not this way, all right? So when I was a pastor, I had this problem, but maybe, maybe you have a friend who has this problem. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been anybody on your staff who's working just well enough to not get fired? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You've, you've, you've yeah. Been, you know, the, you've you got see, a friend. You got right? the C. You yeah. showed up again today. Yeah. 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 So I, I know you have a friend like that, but yeah. I actually had that. So what we found through the School of Hard Knocks was by measuring values when it came time to have whether you want to call it a a, you know disciplinary path for correction or a personal improvement plan or if you're in the deep south you call it we're going to have a prayer meeting you know whatever whatever the thing is where you got to sit them down and say hey this has got to improve so many times it's not the competency because they are pulling the c or the c plus 
Yeah. What I've found is most of the time they're not living out the cultural values. You're right. And so if you score, okay, how do you think you're doing, Carrie, with our nine values? Just yeah. score yourself. I'm going to score you. Let's see if we're on the same page or not. And if there's a place where there's some real disparity, let's talk about it and let's circle it. Let's make a plan. You've got however many days you give them to work on it. And we, we personally have let some people go that were doing okay and nice people mm-hmm. working just well enough to not get fired. But we could look at them after a thorough review, and it wasn't a surprise to them, and say, look, love you as a person, but I have to protect our culture. Yeah. For the sake of the culture, we, we've got to find a, a way to part ways in a way that blesses you. That probably takes the funk out of the room, too, because I think anybody who's led a team of volunteers, paid staff, whatever it is, you know, you're like, this person isn't bad, they're just not great, but you can't say why. They yep. they show up, they do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, like, for example, one of the things is you've been describing, um, you know, the people you would hire, something I know I always look for. I look for self-starters. I That is a core value for me. And uh, I'm sure there are other people in the world who can work with non-self-starters. I'm not one of them. And uh, that's not one of our values, but it is under one of the articulated ones, which is, well, we have two. We have uh, battle mediocrity and make it happen. And we are an organization that just has to make stuff happen. It's like, I know this is impossible, but we're going to figure out a way we're going to make it happen. I know this doesn't normally happen, but we're going to make it happen. And then battle mediocrity. Well, those are two things that drive, like self-starters thrive in those environments and non-self-starters and it's really hard to look at somebody and say, hey, Carrie, hey, William, you're not a self-starter, you know, da, da, da. well, what does that even mean? It's like, well, if you're battling mediocrity and uh, you are making it happen, then you're a self-starter. Like, you're not waiting there for the next email to come in to figure out what to do. And I think, I think that's really smart. Anything else in terms of uh, making culture huge? And then I want to come back to investing in it, because that is a, a battle for a lot of church leaders, I think. Yeah, I, you know, I just say find ways to drive it through the whole life cycle. And when I say the whole life cycle, I mean the interviewing, yeah. to the annual reviews, to the compensation, to the termination, if that's what needs to happen. My, my guess right. is that person who's working just hard enough to not get fired right. is not fitting culturally. And right. if they're not fitting culturally, yep. that means they're not the same kind of crazy as you, and they're probably not real happy. Yes. Yeah, so, that's very intuitive. So in terms of investment, go through some of the things, like we've had this conversation with a mutual friend, Brian Miles, about the things he does for his company. And he's a virtual company, but you have actual office space and everything, and yet you still invest in culture. So what are some things that you do that keeps the culture not only alive, but healthy and growing? Well, I don't know that there's a magic number. And I don't think it's throwing money at things. Sure. Like I see some companies that do the company cruise or the company <laughs> top salespeople win a trip to blah, blah, blah. And you go on this junket yeah. and you spend all this money. It's just crazy. Yeah. I think it's more, um, it's not about the amount that you spend. It's about the intent behind what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the escape room thing costs me next to nothing, you know, right. but, uh, we have, uh, you know, this value of contagious fun. Um, have you ever heard of, uh, Uber puppies? <laughs> have not. No, really? No, Uber you, puppies? That's a maybe thing. Maybe you just don't have it in Canada. We probably must don't. Do it. I live in so, the middle of the nowhere. We don't have Uber anything. Um, oh, wow. But I do travel. 
So there you go. Okay. Okay. Well, so Uber um, in larger cities, I guess, um, partners with the ASPCA, which is the you know homeless pets thing here yeah. in the U.S. Right, and they'll just on a random, almost like a pop up or a flash sale, like on a random day, you'll get a push notification if you're an Uber customer. Today, Uber Puppies is in your neighborhood. Click here to enter the lottery to win one of the Uber Puppy time slots. And so, you know, what that means, is, and I'm, I'm sitting at my desk one day, and I hear my assistant just, you know, yay! I'm like, what have, we won, we won, we won. What we won? We won the Uber Puppies. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so Uber has the ASPCA come over to your office with about a half dozen cute little puppies, and you play with them for 30 minutes. <laughs> and then they leave. And, and so uh, they uh, – and, and, of course, then you can sign up to adopt one if you want. But So it's a, kind of a feel-good for Uber. But uh, I'm like, okay. So she explains all this to me. And she said, you know, contagious fun. We can take 30 minutes. And I'm like, sure, 30 minutes. We can no go big, play with puppies for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. No time. problem. Who's going to say good, no to good that? Good boss right? attitude there, William. So yeah. – <laughs> So, yeah, but it's not 30 minutes, Carrie. It's we, we have to watch the Uber app to see where the puppies are. We have to get ready right. for the puppies to be there. Then we have to take endless selfies with all the puppies, all in the floor playing. <laughs> then we have to use filters to make the pictures perfect. After the puppies are gone, post and decide which ones are going to post or not post and which ones go on the story or which ones go on the Instagram. So it was two or three lost hours, right? Sure. And Times and, 40 well, employees. <laughs> right, right. Now you really want to hire Just me. Just thinking like uh, a boss. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah. But uh, and in fact, I got home that night and Adrian said, uh, William, did you watch social media at all day? I'm like, eh, a little bit. And she said, did you see there were puppies at our office? And I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Uber puppies and I walked her through yeah. the whole thing. And she just looked at me, and I'm going to give you like the G-rated version, but she's, there's a different version that we're not going to air that was uh, something like, what in the world are we paying those people for? Right, right, right. right. <laughs> and, and I did have to say to her, you know, the puppies left at about 2, and then 3 o'clock came, and I don't know how your office is at 3 o'clock, but it's a pretty morbid time for most yeah, offices, right? I mean, sleepy. 3, three o'clock's when Jesus died. <laughs> it's a hard, hard hour, right? So, so they worked their tail off for the rest of the afternoon. I got more productivity yeah. out of them by giving up a little bit of time. So it was an investment of hard costs and soft costs. You know, the time itself led to bigger output from our people. Yeah. And it also led to people loving, you know, they're posting pictures. Every one of their friends is saying, I want to go work there. They yeah. get to play with the puppies. So it's recruiting. It's retention. It's higher productivity, and it's all because of the stupid Uber puppies. So, uh, you know, that's just a small form of, I didn't spend a dollar getting those dogs here. Yeah. You know, I spent the time, but it doesn't have to be huge amounts of money at corporate junkets. There are, if you put intent behind things, the amount of money will not matter as much. Well, and it's like when I had Henry Cloud on the podcast and, you know, he talked about R&D and building in your company. And I guess that's a pet peeve of mine because I've done, you know, two decades of of budget battles in the church. And we have a great elder board and a great team and a great staff, but it always seems no matter how healthy it is, you're always looking like, you know, where are we going to do the retreat this year? Or how can we do this? Or what can we afford? Or what can we not afford? And that seems to be one of the easiest things to cut. And he said, you know, you can even start developing team culture and a learning culture. If you can't afford a conference, 
download this podcast and study. It's free. Like study it with your team. That is not going to take you anything but time. What are some other little um, things for people? Because, you know, and even even to say, I bet you three years from now, like I don't know whether that happened on a Tuesday or Thursday, but you can't even think about what happened in your office a month ago, you know, on a Thursday. You have no idea. But your exactly. staff, three years from now, will talk about the day that Uber puppies came to the office and how awesome it was and how great it was, and they'll all smile. And I mean, I remember a decade ago one day when we had five people on staff, we all just went to the movies one day. And then there were other days where, you know, we ordered in or uh, it was simple things or you travel together. And those are the things that make a workplace Great. Uh, what are some other things or little hacks that you can give leaders who maybe don't have big bucks but have big dreams? Well, I, you know, one thing I would point leaders toward is it is going to cost some dollars. Yeah. Now, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey spends his entire life calling is on people not wasting money, right? Mm-hmm. That's like his whole deal. Yeah. All. 700 or now 800, maybe it's 900 employees now, now that we've been on the podcast a while, but however many employees he has, they're all in a chapel service once a week. Yeah. You know how much that hour costs him every single week times 52 weeks, his Christmas party, he spends an ungodly amount of money at yeah. his Christmas party. It's tell, ridiculous. tell people who don't know what he does at Christmas, because this is the big shopping spree, right? It's Doesn't he different do that every often? year. He did Costco this year. I think he gave a car yeah. away. Uh, he told me this in the book, so I, I, I hope he's okay with me saying on the podcast. So, you know, that party cost me a million dollars. I believe it. So, yeah. and, you know, it's a lot of people, but even on a per capita for 700 people, that's still a significant investment a for each. a lot of money. Yeah, and everybody got what, like a gift card of like eight hundred or nine hundred dollars or something, yep. Yep. and they got to go loose. Like he reserved a Costco and he's done it at Target exactly. before. But it. it's like you just go and fill your cart with X hundred dollars worth of stuff. The store is ours. Enjoy, Merry Christmas, and and a black tie formal event the next night at yeah you know the convention center where we so, give away a car. So I think like, it was a used it, car, but it's still a car. I said, Dave, I thought you didn't like people spending money. And he said, I don't want people spending money foolishly, William. You know, I spend that kind of money on my people because I see return on investment. He said, I see two. One is people don't leave my company. Do you know how much it costs to retrain, to go rehire? I got to hire you to go find the person, which he's done. And then I've got (laughs) to onboard them. And then I've got to, and you know, they'll do like 13 or 14 interviews before you get offered a job there. I've, yeah. I've, I've actually told Dave, I think, I think I could do a search and place someone at the CIA quicker than I can do one for you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I, I, I think he agreed with me. But anyway, all that cost, ROI one is you're not going to lose people. Now, that's a, that's a passive cost. You can't measure it because who would have yeah. left or not. It's hard to – it's kind of a trust. He said, but the second ROI is he said, William, I can't tell you how many friends I have who own businesses – that don't want to go to their own office because they don't like the workplace. Yeah. He said, and life's, life's just too short to have a workplace that you don't enjoy going to, particularly if you own the business. Mm-hmm. So if you're a leader, make it a place that you want to go to work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I just heard that over and over, and, and a whole lot of statistics about turnover that would be hard to measure in the church world. But, uh, you know, one guy uh, running a company about $5 million, 
he spends half a million dollars, so 10% of his revenue, on culture. Yeah. I'm like, and he said his EBITDA, his earnings uh, before mm-hmm. taxes, depreciation, amortization, all that, it, it was about 40% higher than his other two competitors. They charge the same thing. It's the same product. They had the same, generally the same revenue. I said, well, why were yours better? And he said, because I didn't lose anybody. They have yeah. 38% annual churn. I have two. Wow. So it's, it, it's, it's investing in people so that you can keep them. That's, that's the big sell. And if you have to, if you're a trick to you're like, I can't talk my board into spending things on culture, go tell them that Dave Ramsey said to spend money on it. Yeah. I, and, and I think you're totally right. And I mean, you think about even a volunteer culture, first of all. All these principles work for volunteers because if you've got a high volunteer churn rate, you're you're in big trouble. I mean, you're always recruiting and your your culture gets a reputation. I mean, eventually word gets around like that's a terrible ministry to serve in or hey, I served in student ministry. Or, I served in preschool or I was on staff there and it was a disaster. And like you eventually it becomes a uh, a place where nobody really wants to serve. So it's funny, if you, if you had a percentage, even to start with, I've always thought 10%, it's funny you mentioned your buddy, like that um, 10% would be in what I call R&D, which can be, you know, sending your people to conferences, doing nice things for them, bonuses. Um, you know, we're taking the team in my own company, Carrie Newhoff Communications, we're going up to a place in Muskoka, which is a beautiful resort about an hour north of here, just to spend a couple days together brainstorming, working on it, not in it. We're going to have some fun touches and do a lot of work too. And that's expensive, but I see it as an investment in people. I mean, for stuff like that, about 10% of what you make, is that a good benchmark, bad benchmark? I mean, 1% is better than 0%, I guess. I, You know, I don't know that I know the magic dollar sign. I, I like mm. that idea. There, You know, there's something about... Uh, pouring back into your people and having a cap on it. Maybe maybe it's just finding that number and living with it. I, yeah. I do know this. When you get to the place that your recruiting issues are no longer an issue, but you have right. a line of people that want to work, then you'll know you're spending the right amount. And <laughs> and here's the, the bigger litmus test, True. right? When your former employees will serve as references when you're trying to hire someone and they say, who should I call? Oh, mm. talk to this guy. We fired him three years ago. You should talk to him about whether you should work here or not. Yeah. When you can make that happen, then you're spending the right amount of money. That's good to know. You know, another really good test for uh, staff members, and we've been really privileged over the last few years, but because uh, you do have staff turnover. I mean, people have seasons of their life and life situations change and people have babies or people are like, I always want to do this. Um, but if your staff don't leave the community, do they still attend your church? That's and good. I'm blown away. We've got like half a dozen former staff who are all part of our church today. And it was just, you know, it was a season they were with us. It's a season we blessed them when they when they went on to new ventures, but they're all actively involved. Many of them volunteer. I mean, some of them do what they used to do when we used to pay them, which is crazy. Shouldn't say that out <laughs> loud. Um, but But that is probably a sign that you've got a relatively healthy culture as well. Um, so those are just things to look for. William, anything else you want to let leaders know about culture in the marketplace or in the church world? Anything else to tie a bow on it? No, I just think that it's, you know, with the way these birth rates are that we talked about early on, this is not a problem that's going to go away. It's not a flavor of the month. It's going to be the way we retain people in the future. And the, the leaders who get a head start on it now will still have a chance to win the battle of the firstest. 
And yeah. uh, sometimes that that's the difference maker. Right. You were the first in. <laughs> you yeah. you figured this out early. Uh, yeah. That's a really good point. Okay. What's the book called? When's, when is release? And uh, where can people find you and your company? Yeah. You just misspell Vanderbloom in however many times you want. <laughs> and it'll lead you straight to us. And uh, you can find the book there. You can also find it on Amazon. It's called Culture Wins. And if you just go to Amazon, and again, misspell Vanderbloom however many times you want, it'll pop up. I've only written a few books. So Culture yeah. Wins, The Roadmap to Building an Irresistible Workplace. It's awesome. William, as always, it's a joy. Thanks so much for building in to leaders today. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks for all you do, too. You're doing, making a big difference with this podcast. Well, that's an investment in the future if I've ever heard one. And I would just encourage you to take action. And if you want links to anything we talked about or even to see some highlights from the interview, head on over to the show notes. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 180 or leadlikeneverbefore.com. Just search William's name. Uh, it'll show up in the search engine uh, on my, is that what do you call it? I don't know, a little search window <laughs> on my blog. So you, you can check it out there. Next week, I'm so excited that Brad Lominick is in the house. Brad is a, a good friend, and these days, he is the founder of Blink. Uh, that's his company. does a lot of work helping church leaders, and uh, he and I just talk about leadership trends uh, and things that we see for the future. Here's an excerpt from that interview. If your whole world as a pastor is built on the premise that attendance drives how I feel... That's dangerous, man. That is a dangerous place to be. And we want to measure things because when we measure it, we, we can we can actually like effectively shift or change to make it better. So yeah. this is not a measurement question, but it's it is a question of where are you getting the fuel and where are you getting validation and where, you know that's that's you gotta you gotta be really careful about those things. That's happening next week to make sure you don't miss it. Wherever you get your podcast, just hit subscribe. It's always free. Uh, we love doing this with you, and we love it when you share this. So thank you to all of you who are sharing the podcast, letting other leaders, your team know. I know for some of you, this is like team study every week. The show notes can help with that. Subscribers, automatically, you're going to get some awesome stuff in the next little while. I, I think it's basically the Cheater Executive MBA in Cheryl Batchelder. She's coming. She's the former CEO of Popeye and just an incredible story and exceptional insight. Todd Wilson with Lessons from the Nuclear Navy may just be the coolest title ever. We have Brian Houston on deck. Greg Atkinson, backed by popular demand. So many of you are like, what is part two of like, you know, visitor stuff happening? It's happening soon. So we have so much coming up and you get that for free when you subscribe. Make sure you check out trainedup.church. Get your 50% off by using the code first 50 head on over to canadianchurchleaders.ca or rethinkleadership.com so we can hang out later this year and in the meantime thanks so much i really do hope this has helped you it's it's helping me a lot i'm learning every week too and we'll be back next tuesday with a fresh episode and i really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before you've been listening to the carrie newhoff leadership podcast Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.